Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by National ACO. National ACO is one of 58 ACOs admitted into the next generation model, including the 17 new participants added in 2018. National ACO is a best-in-class performer, experiencing strong growth, was nation-leading in its first performance year, and has logged five years of sequential profitable operations. National ACO is a physician-owned, operated, and governed ACO, leading innovation in value-based healthcare, alternative payment models, and population health management. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, your producer and moderator, known to some on Twitter as at 2HealthGuru and the publisher of ACO Watch. I'm joined in the virtual studio today by National ACO's co-founder, Dr. Alex Foxman, who serves as president and its chief medical officer. Making an encore appearance is one of the brightest minds in the value-based healthcare economy, Don Crane, president and CEO of America's Physician Groups, formerly known as CAPG is a leading association in the country representing physician organizations practicing capitated coordinated care. The association membership comprises close to 300 medical groups and independent practice associations across 45 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Don joined America's Physician Groups in 2001 and has served continuously as its president and CEO. During his tenure, APG has expanded from being a division of a regional hospital trade association consisting of 40 members to a national professional association of medical groups, physician organizations, and IPAs. America's Physician Groups is a leading voice in advocacy, on both the state and federal levels with headquarters in Los Angeles. APG maintains advocacy offices in Sacramento, California, and Washington, D.C. And with that introduction, Dr. Foxman, over to you. Help us get to know Don, his work at America's Physician Groups, and his take on the state of health policy, value-based health care, and the accountable care industry. So thanks so much, Greg. Don, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Alex. And thank you both you guys for having me on again. This is a pleasure. And thanks for, for coming. So, Don, for, for those who haven't heard you in the past, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drew you to the work uh, you're doing right now and why? Well, I mean, I'm a lawyer by training and quirks of fate um, landed me into this position as now the CEO of uh, America's Physician Groups. And the lucky guy I am because I was drawn to the work really by the opportunity before us to transform American healthcare. Why? To get it to perform commensurate with our capacity and our abilities. Um, I say that as I think this very day about the um, space shot that occurred earlier in the day, and it reminded me of the excellence of so much in America, in our science, in our industry, in our commerce, in our art, in our athletics. But our healthcare 
healthcare system lags, right? So we all know there's brilliance in terms of the science and the research and the training and the specialty care, but in terms of uh, uh, population health statistics, we lag the many countries in the world, the Western uh, industrialized democracies, for example, where we stand perhaps one of the more sentinel and perhaps disgraceful um, stats is that we're 47th in the nation in terms of infant mortality. So the opportunity to have a positive effect on that picture is what drew me to it then and draws it draws me to it today. You know, and, and, and also speaking about uh, launching rockets uh, in a space and, and, and further, you know, we, we all know that things don't happen immediately, that it takes time just like launching a rocket to, to really get that on the launching pad and have a successful uh, mission. Uh, I think it's the same thing with healthcare as well. Uh, and uh, I believe that we are in healthcare positioned right now to really have that rocket launch into space and be successful. So we're all very excited and echo your sentiments of, of why we all got into this line of work. Now, uh, speaking about America's Physician Group, uh, tell us a little bit about its mission, the results to date, and uh, if you could include some of the term priorities and focus that you have. Well, so I think the big answer to that question today is that just two weeks ago, uh, <clears throat> we engaged in a rebranding where we changed our name, Greg alluded to this, and we went from CAPG, which was our name as we were originally only a California-based professional association, um, and we have evolved into a national association, having opened our doors about three or four years ago to groups all around the country. So. We've had this explosive growth in terms of membership and in terms of our footprint across the country, which has enabled us to uh, dive with all four feet into <clears throat> federal advocacy, which is so important for physicians all around the country. That's where our future is being authored in so many ways, Medicare, Medicaid, but uh, beyond that, frankly. So this rebranding signals to the country um, that we are um, taking responsibility for America's health. That is our tagline. Uh, there's no mis misunderstanding who we are with this, this rebranding. We are physician groups uh, taking responsibility for America's health, which is a fancy way of saying and uh, describing what happens, the dynamic that happens when groups come together to be responsible for population health in a uh, you know, risk-bearing, integrated way. So that's who we are. We're having good luck doing that. Fast growth, making a big impact. We think in Washington D.C., and not incidentally, having some fun while we do it. That's great. So, uh, you know, as a uh, premier national association advocating risk assumption via capitated uh, contract arrangements, seamless care coordination, uh, take us to the mindset of the members that and how they evaluate the strategic options in the decision-making of becoming a CAPG member. And then maybe you could address the issues of, of your preferred platform, the Medicare Advantage uh, versus ACO models, including the Next Generation model, and what your members are leaning towards and why. So, you know, our members represent quite a diversity of, of groups and skill sets and histories. So the answer does kind of vary. Um, there are very sophisticated groups that belong to APG today and those that are uh, just now joining uh, APG and they do so for a variety of reasons. And then there's sort of neophytes, those that are, say, for example, just Medicare ACOs and just getting their foot and then their calf and then their knee into the water of 
integrated um, um, risk-based care. But all of them, I think, join for basically the same reasons. They want to be within a professional association that is in the vanguard of, a, of, of American healthcare. That's the leadership part that's so important to them. They also want to be um, advocating for change. They also want to be tuned into that advocacy so they know what's going on in terms of new legislation and regulation. And then finally, and in a way most importantly, they want to be a part of the education function that is APG and is at our heart. And that is the sort of sharing of best practices from member to member as we all try and help one another get better at this thing called capitated integrated care. So I think that's the mindset. Your, your members lean towards more, shall we say, the Medicare Advantage type of model, or are they leaning towards more the ACO and, and the next-gen model as, as a, the future of, of where we're going with risk? So most of them, many of them, are proud of bringing coordinated care to all products and all programs. They strive to do that um, because they want to take care of everyone in the community if they can. Now, there's no question that we do have our favorite programs. Um, at the top of the list or high on the list is Medicare Advantage, where, for example, in California, it's almost exclusively a percent of premium kind of an arrangement. So MA Health Plan receives money from the government and turns around and pays to um, an APG member. You know, global capitation in many instances, um, and that payment methodology gives rise to all the good stuff in terms of resource stewardship and then the improvement of clinical quality as the groups know what to do with that revenue stream where to deploy those resources to match it to the acuity of the population home visits for frail elderly less intense services for those that are well so we really find that to be a, a good program and also, of course that population tends to have multiple comorbidities where excellent coordinated care can shine at its very best. But having said all that, certainly many of our members are some of those that are on the, this, the beginning parse portions of this evolution are doing ACO. Um, there's plenty of next-gen ACOs. We're heartened to see an increase in the number of ACOs, an increase in the number of uh, ACO track one plus, I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, but these are the risk-bearing ones, right? An uptick in the number of next-gen ACOs. Uh, Alex, you guys are, are one of those, in fact. And that's reflective of a desire to take ever higher levels of risk and with it, ever higher levels of reward and not incidentally, also better quality for the population. So, you know, there to summarize, we definitely like you know, a payment methodology, a methodology that puts us at risk because it allows us to um, align incentives throughout the enterprise to deliver higher quality at lower cost, and it's working, and it's working well. So what do you say to those uh, organizations, large and small, that have taken risk in the past and have failed? You know, they, for one reason or another, have not made it happen and have reverted back to fee-for-service because there are you know, organizations like that all over the country that for whatever reason may have not uh, succeeded to the level that they anticipated. What would you say to encourage them uh, for the future of healthcare? Well, I would say come on back in. Things have changed and they've changed dramatically in a number of ways. So I'll start at the top of the list. 
Virtually all APG members now do something today that wasn't done well in the old days, let's say the early 90s and the late 80s. Um, and that is collect data and do something with it. So they collect data, integrate the data sets, and then they stare at it and they stratify their populations. They know who their population is. They know who the sickest 5% is that needs 50% of their attention, for example. They know how to develop disease registries. They know who the diabetics are. They then, therefore, know what to do with in terms of outreach for those diabetics. So all of a sudden, they have an insight into the population like never before. Next, in terms of data, they also are now able to manage the finances much better. So they do that. They know incurred but not reported accounting better. So they are able to better manage the dollars than they ever have been in the past. And proof of that is that I can almost not think of an insolvency among my APG membership in the last 10 years. Now, there were, you know, there were legions of those in the 90s, right? In the early days uh, when risk was taken sort of, you know, improvidently. But go moving forward into the last decade, insolvency is almost a thing of the past. They're well managed. And I think that, though I couldn't prove this, I think that you would find if you aggregated all of their bottom lines and profit margins, you would see that they're doing very well making populations healthier. And so the world has changed. And so those that had difficulty in the past, I would say, come back in because this is where the puck is going. You can see it in federal legislation. You can see it in market demand. You can see the employers want it. They do not want a fee-for-service world where to make more, you just churn more. They want to have physician-led physician groups be responsible for the health and the use of resources because they know that's what produces the lowest cost and the highest quality. Yeah, I'll add to that. I think another big difference now is is finally there is uh, teamwork that occurs between different uh, types of uh, healthcare providers, the hospitals, the nursing homes, the home health facilities, the laboratories. We now finally are getting to the point of alignment. Uh, even without capitation, even in a, a risk-based fee-for-service market, we're finally seeing this this alignment where everyone understands that for all of us to survive, we need each other to be able to provide the best care at the at the lowest cost uh, with the best satisfaction of care and the best quality of metrics. So, so this is kind of the the, the turning point, in my opinion, of, of healthcare right now. And this is why it's so exciting to be in this uh, in this uh, component of of, of uh, care. Do you have anything that you want to add there, Greg? Yeah, I was just curious, Don, on the um, the IBNR. Um, and the idea that uh, insolvency seems to be uh, a thing of the past. I'm just curious: is is the is this the handle on better IBNR incurred but not reported? Uh, just a function of what Alex is talking about. You know, alignment, better coordination, better communication, perhaps tech enabled. Is that the difference today? Is there something else going on? Well, I think it's all of the above. I think there's nothing quite like, you know, um, making a mistake to learn from. So the mistake was made in the past. Everyone's learned from it. All eyes, there's now solvency regulations and so forth. So a lot of attention was drawn to that. But when you just you just hit on it, I think also when you said sort of put technology. So um, physician groups these days are wired like never before, right? So 
electronic medical records, practice management, um, you know, um, uh, programs. Um, though interoperability hasn't been solved, it's been greatly improved with interfaces that connect the various play players that Alex just mentioned, skilled nursing facilities, hospitals. There's better connectivity than there ever was before. All of this taken together has produced what we're seeing right now, which is, um, you know, really the absence of insolvency, presumably pretty good profitability, though no one's getting rich, but that wasn't the plan, and just better performance all across the spectrum of quality and, uh, and, and, and cost and patient satisfaction. And yeah, physician so, so, satisfaction, I might add. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that's very important. Physician satisfaction is something that is, is something that many of us have forgotten about. Myself being a, a private practice internist, uh, that was something that I forgot about long ago. But it is a very important uh, factor for long-term sustainability because as we make changes and as you alluded to, Don, make mistakes and make uh, success stories and so forth, uh, we have to keep in mind that for us to be able to get through the bad times and get to the good, there has to be physician satisfaction, which is quite important. The other thing I think that, that we, we forgot about before, which is very important now, is to bring in the actual patient into the mix in regards to the responsibility of care. So how does CAPG and how do you see integrating the actual patient into the flow so the patient has more responsibility for, for, for their care so that ultimately uh, their, the overall financial and, and medical components of care are, are, uh, are sustainable and optimized. So it's critically important. I mean, the sort of dream of every physician is the educated and engaged patient. So it um, may be one of the most, single most important things in terms of excellent outcomes and high quality. But there's lots to this answer. So patient engagement is something that happens when you have benefit designs and product designs that enable it. So when we look, for example, at the Medicare ACO program, which is doing pretty well, but not great, much to be said about that, there you see, you know, open network, fee-for-service, and not as much engagement as, we, as you would like. Contrast that with um, some of the more classical sort of HMO products where enrollee Don Crane signs up for a given physician group and a physician, uh, enrolls intentionally and intelligently into this group. Um, then there is benefit design where um, the benefits are covered only in network and not out of network. And you have a primary care physician whose job is to work closely with that patient as they together navigate the system as much or as little as is necessary. You get all of that engagement through all of those measures and you get pretty good outcomes. And so we know where, you know, what works well in that regard and we should, we should work hard to implement it. So Don, now I want you to put on your, your, your hat and your, take out your crystal ball and maybe give us a little bit of, of what's in the future. Where do you see healthcare five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now um, uh, in the United States? Do you see uh, what's positive, what's negative? Give us a little bit about what you predict. So I got my crystal ball out and I've just polished it to a high luster, so I'm sure I'll be 1,000% accurate and then I'm going to stand and need it tomorrow and I'm going to the third race and I'm going to get and rich quick. Don't forget my lottery ticket, please. 
And I'm going to pick up a lottery ticket for you on the way as well. So with that preface, I'll say um, a few words. So I do think we're reaching a kind of a tipping point, and maybe this is in part a, a function of kind of a pain level. So, you know, we're a, we're a very rich country, of course, and I think hitherto we've been able to afford waste, right? But now that we're at 18% of the GDP and that kind of spend is crowding out important expenditures like education and then on and on and on and making us less competitive internationally, I think we're approaching um, the, the kind of pain level that is going to motivate change. So you just see that was these employers have come together, J.P. Morgan and, and, and uh, Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon the other day. That's a, that's a, a, a reflection, really, of the pain level and an impatience that the purchasers and payers of the world have with where we are. So we're getting to sort of, you know, the time's up moment for American health care. It's really important. And now I think there's going to be an increasing focus on what works. We spent a lot of time experimenting, that's good, and we should continue to do so. But we have around the country uh, innumerable examples of what works, and it tends to be, with very little exception, physician-led physician groups that know best how to organize care and are incented to do that and keep the population healthy. Health plans have an important role and we need them and want them, but they don't deliver care. Hospitals have an important role and we need them and want them, but their focus is mostly on inpatient care. Individual physicians are critical, but they're not in a position and scaled and organized enough to do it alone. It is the physician group where you aggregate that intelligence and those organized systems that you can best then um, bring together quality and cost. So I think there is an inevitability that this evolution, despite bumps, and, you know, uh, rough air as we fly into the future from time to time. We're on our way to a more rational system. Um, position groups of the Pentium chip, and we need an operating system to make this computer work well. And there's enough smart minds and eyes looking at it that I think, you know, with trial and error, we're going to get there. That's what I think. And I love the... We know what works, so let's encourage the private sector to identify and profile best-in-class operators, and then let's slavishly imitate them to scale as quickly as possible. So, Don, seven months later, when you made that comment last July, give us your critique. What are you seeing in the rearview mirror in terms of this slavishly imitating approach? And have we made progress where? And if, if not, why not? So I think we're making progress. Now, I, I'm an impatient guy, so I'd like to move faster. But So I already alluded to the uptick in the number of ACOs and next-gen ACOs and the increased amount of risk going on in Medicare. Um, you see that elsewhere. We now have Medicaid ACOs like we've never had before. Most of Medicaid around the country now is prospectively paid. Um, I look now more closer to what's on my desk and I see some of the applications for uh, membership in front of APG. So I think of Steward, the system, it's 35 hospitals, sounds like a hospital company, but it's, uh, it's a delivery, a healthcare company, globally capitated across all components and delivering high quality care at lower cost. And you see them rise up out of 
not seemingly nowhere, right? Not, that's probably not the case if you ask them, but all of a sudden they're on the radar and you see these shining examples of excellence that could go on and on and on, well-med, New West positions all around the country. So I'm encouraged. I, I would like it to go faster. I worry that if we don't go fast enough, we'll get weird draconian laws out of Congress that will simply you know, cut and burn and slash and burn. Um, and so I have that fear. So that's why I would like to accelerate the movement. But the capacity and the know-how is there. It's here and we need to implement it. So one of the things I see, uh, at least on the West Coast in, in California, and, and this is really a national trend, is not only consolidation of large organizations, hospitals are consolidating, groups are consolidating, even third-party vendors are consolidating all over the country. But what I see now is a significant erosion of community-based medicine. The physicians who are practicing in the community, the, the hospitals are practicing in the community, all of the vendors that are as well are really being eroded by what's happening in the healthcare system. And sometimes it feels as if it's just because they don't have enough uh, 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 of, a, of a voice to be able to, to manage the, the patients well and maybe manage the costs. How do you see this trend ha uh, moving forward? And what do you see happening in the, in the realm of consolidation in healthcare? Well, you know, it's definitely a concern. Um, there's a lot of discussion about it that these days, monopolization, um, you're hearing a lot more of the word antitrust and so forth. Um, I think a couple things. I think that these independent physicians, and still there are many, they will be well served in joining basically IPAs, independent practice associations. Not a very good name, but uh, organizations that allow them to preserve their independence but provide them with centralized support, data warehouse, nurse uh, practitioners, care management, sort of adjuncts and support, better enabling them to do what they do best, which is, which is practice medicine. So the centralized support services out of an IPA, I think, are the preservation and the hope for independent practice. Next, um, time will tell. Um, some of the consolidations that we see look like they make sense and others don't look like they make sense. Um, and I worry about some of them, you know, and I, without intending any disparagement, consolidations are there for leverage. And they are by organizations that have very high cost structures, union contracts, lots of bricks and mortar. Those organizations are going to have to cut expenses to survive if they can. I mean, we're moving into a world and a future now where both science and the market is asking that care demanding, excuse me, that care be delivered in the most appropriate setting, which is increasingly in the home, which also happens to be a lower cost setting frequently. And provided that it's clinically appropriate, you're going to see more and more care moving out of high cost locations like hospitals into low cost locations like the home. It'll be supported by technology. Uh, um, there'll be all kinds of IT, remote monitoring, uh, um, tele tele telephonic medicine, and so forth. We'll all support that. And so I think that, uh, and we'll always have rural medicine. So I think that, um, you know, we have not seen the end of independent physicians. Uh, I think they're going to need to join IPAs to a certain extent. I don't think they have to throw in the towel and, and join hospitals. Uh, I don't know that that's the model of the future. We'll have to see. 
Um, but my my speculation is that um, it's going to be physician-led physician groups one way or another. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the uh, conference that you're having uh, in April in San Diego. Can you give us a little insight of when it is, what will happen there, and why physicians and groups should attend? So this is our annual conference, and it happens to be, and thank you very much for asking, love the plug, but it's important too. I mean, we like to do it to have fun and make money, but it's a part really of the uh, the agenda to move the needle on, on this movement from volume to value. I mean, it's, we do it for strategic reasons. So it is on April 19th through 21, three days in, in April there, 19th through the 21st. It's at the uh, Manchester Hyatt in San Diego. And it is a, you know, um, gee, I don't know, I won't, a veritable sort of woodstock of integrated capitated care. We'll have some 2,000 attendees. We have a very rich program of plenary session speakers and breakout sessions. What I think probably characterizes it more than any single thing is the excitement in the air. The people in the room sense that they're in the vanguard of change, and they're there to network and learn from one one another. So for those that want to go where the puck is going in the future, this is the place to go learn, rub elbows, and then have a good time. The speakers are excellent. The breakout sessions, most of them sort of focus on how to do things. How do you find data? How do you employ, you know, care management strategies? How do you move from fee-for-service into, you know, risk-based compensation? So it's a lot of education and a lot of networking and a fair amount of fun. So I recommend people go to our our webpage, apg.org, and you'll find the appropriate buttons to push to go ahead and register. Love to have you. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guest, Don Crane, President and CEO of America's Physician Groups, for his time and generous insights today. Stay current with Don and American America's Physician Groups. Work on Twitter via at Don Crane and at A-M-E-R-P-H-Y-S. GRPS, as well as on the web via www.apg.org. Finally, do follow National ACO on the web via www.nacomso.com and on Twitter via at NACOMSO. Until we meet again on This Week in Accountable Care for Dr. Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Masters, saying bye now. <laughs>